Well, good morning, City Light. Yeah, my name is Eric, like Chuck said, and I'm excited to uh, get to serve as a pastor here at our church. I'm grateful that you joined us this morning. Um, Like Chuck said, I did get to go on a little vacation this last week. I went to Kansas City with my family, so it was a good week for me. I love spending time with my family. I've got a wife, and we've got four kids. Our oldest is eight. Our youngest is two. And so we went to a water park and went to a restaurant where the food's delivered by a little train. It was a lot of fun. Eight years as a dad, it's taught me some things that sometimes I don't always remember, but when I go on a vacation, then you uh, recall them to mind, right? Uh, For instance, um, when you've got a toddler, uh, it's better for a toddler to nap in the car on the trip than before you get in the car and go on the trip. There's something about a toddler, they are a better passenger when they're asleep than when a a five-point harness is holding them still for hours on end, right? Something you remember when you go for a drive. Another thing, um, when you're cleaning up vomit in a confined space, you need to take shallow breaths or else the mess might get bigger, right? (laughs) By God's grace, I didn't make the mess bigger, but I came close. Shallow breaths in those cases. Um, One other thing uh, that I've learned in eight years as a dad, um, when kids are hungry, they just want to eat, right? That's all they want to do. In our home, we have this routine at mealtimes where the kids are involved and they help us out. So they set the table, they get out, you know, if they need ketchup, they get it out of the fridge and bring it to the table and they're helpful. Um, And usually that works out really well. Uh, But once in a while, um, that gets thrown off. Our routine doesn't work. Uh, For instance, if dinner is served late or we're in a hurry, if Sarah and I get the food on the plates and the plates on the table before the kids' work is done, then we have problems because hungry kids, they just want to eat. And so they're digging in before their silverware. They don't need drinks. They're just, you know, hands in the food, food in the face. That's how they work. And so I try to say things like, guys, come on, let's work together so we can eat together. And even if I get their attention, um, they're still picking at their food, sneaking bites, doing whatever they got to do to get back to their plate as fast as they can. One thing I've learned in eight years as a dad, is that when your kids get hungry, they just want to eat. Even if there's work to do, they don't care. They've got a one-track mind. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever experienced that? There's work to be done, but people around you just miss it. They don't see it. They're distracted. Well, I think today in John chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus in a similar kind of situation. There's work to do, But his disciples, his friends, um, they don't see it. This is what Jesus said. Chuck just read, um, read this. He said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Listen, Jesus didn't have a home, but he wasn't a wanderer. Jesus didn't have a schedule, but he wasn't lazy. Jesus didn't have an earthly employer, but he was employed in his father's business. He was about his father's work. And so today, I want to read through one story in John chapter 4 about the um, woman at the well. Um, And I I just want to make three observations 
about the work that Jesus was doing while he was here on this earth. So that's where we're going. I'm just going to tell you from the outset, um, John is dear to my heart because he's a deep feeler and he's really wordy. Okay, so his chapters are long. I'm covering like 45 verses this morning. And so we got a lot of ground to cover. I don't expect you to remember it all. Um, but I would just say even now, maybe just ask God, hey, what would you have me remember this morning? What would you have for me? And take that away. That's enough. Um, so we got 45 verses. Um, here are the three observations that I want to make about Jesus' work from the Bible today. Uh, his work was two. It was about uh, to give living water, to seek true worshipers, and to reap a white harvest. I tried to get three W's. It didn't go exactly the way that I wanted, but water worshipers and a white harvest. That's what Jesus was about when he was here. So as we walk through the story, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says, how it impacts this woman at the well and what it reveals to us about his work. All right, that's where we're going. Let's dive in to the story. Um, as we uh, get set up, um, Jesus is in uh, Judea and he's traveling to Galilee. All right, Judea, uh, Galilee is north of Judea and he's going to make this trip. This is in ancient Israel. And to get from Judea to Galilee, you have to travel through Samaria. Okay, it would be something like leaving from here to go to Denver and having to drive through Nebraska. Nobody wants to do that. I hate driving through Nebraska. It's boring, it's long, it's flat. There's nothing to see and nothing to do, right? Nobody wants to drive through Nebraska, but you're excited to get to Denver, right? The destination's way more exciting than the trip. That would have been similar to this trip from Judea to Galilee, but the Jews would have hated traveling through Samaria for a different reason than I hate traveling through Nebraska. Um, you see, Samaria, way back in the beginning, it was part of the northern country of Israel. They were, way back when Israel was first established, the uh, people who occupied Samaria were actually part of the Jews. But then over time, the Samaritans, they intermarried with other people, non-Jews. They rejected all of the Jewish Old Testament except for the first five books of the Bible. And even those, they edited. They chopped out some pieces. Um, and uh, they built a temple, on their own temple on a mountain in Samaria. And they rejected the temple in Jerusalem. So you can see that these Samaritans, um, they have an ancient history in common with the Jews, but they have a recent history that's diverged. Um, this shared but different history gave the Jews and the Samaritans a lot to argue and fight about, and that's what they did. They just did not get along. And so uh, Jesus, he's on his way from Judea to Galilee. He has to go through Samaria um, and he does. So uh, he's on this trip um, from Judea. About 40 miles into the trip, he comes to a town in Samaria where there's a well, an ancient well. And uh, this 40-mile trip, um, it would have been hot and humid and hard, 
all right? It's not like they had cushy seats and air conditioning and positive encouraging Caleb that we get to enjoy when we travel, right? None of that. No McDonald's on the side of the road. This is hot and humid. They're in sandals and they got to walk and hike all that way. And any food or water that they would have needed for the journey, they got to carry with them. And so you can imagine, you don't want to carry a lot because it just makes the trip harder. And so 40 miles into this journey from Judea to Galilee, they stop in Samaria. And you can imagine Jesus and his friends are tired, they're thirsty, and they're hungry. And so they end up at this well. And Jesus' friends, they peace out to go get some food in the city. Jesus stays at the well, and this woman walks up. This is how the Bible kicks off our story. So he, Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is at the well. His friends are gone. This woman walks up. She's getting water. Jesus says, give me a drink. Now that may not sound abnormal um, on first read, but it was very abnormal. It was countercultural. It broke social norms in at least a couple of ways. Um, First of all, um, as we just talked about, the Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. Um, Jews wouldn't have even spoken with Samaritans normally. And they would have done that because Jews had this idea that they needed to be religiously clean all the time. And Samaritans, just by virtue of the way that they dissected the Old Testament, um, they were perpetually unclean. So a Jew wouldn't even talk to a Samaritan, much less ask for a drink of water from one of their water jars. You wouldn't drink after one of these people. And so asking for a drink, that breaks some social norms um, when a Jew asks for one from a Samaritan. But that's not the only thing. Um, that makes this kind of an odd interaction. Jesus talks to a woman, one-on-one. And in those days, you don't do that. Because a man and a woman, one-on-one, in public or private, no matter what they're doing, it just implies impurity or impropriety, even if there was none. And so a man should not talk to a woman um, one-on-one in any situation. And so there are these cultural uh, barriers that say Jesus shouldn't talk to her, yet he does, and he asks for a drink. And so the woman is caught off guard, and this is what she says. She responds, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You can almost sense the amazement in her voice. I am completely baffled and amazed that you would talk to me. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to ask me for a drink. Why would you talk to me? And Jesus, he he knows she's shocked and amazed. And so he's going to respond to that. This is what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see what's happening here? She's amazed and Jesus is just entering into it. 
she says, hey, I'm shocked that you would talk to me. And Jesus says, I'm shocked that you wouldn't talk to me. She says, you're not supposed to ask me for a drink. And Jesus says, you are supposed to ask me for a drink. She says, why would you do this? And he says, why wouldn't you? Right? He, every, every one of her presuppositions, Jesus just turns on its head. No, no, I'm here. I'm intentionally talking to you. And so after he says that, he follows up uh, like this. Everyone who drinks of this well water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so I want to pause in the story here. And I just want to ask, what do you expect from Jesus? What do you expect from Jesus? I don't know what you expect from him, but this woman was shocked and amazed when she encountered Jesus. Listen, she had every reason to believe that he ought to just ignore her. She wasn't the right gender. She wasn't from the right culture. She didn't have the right past. There was every reason for her to believe that Jesus would just pass her by, never noticing her. She's part of the scenery. He doesn't engage. She expected nothing from him. But Jesus broke through those expectations. He didn't ignore her. He saw her. He didn't, he didn't leave her as part of the scenery. He spoke to her. He didn't just ask her for a drink of water. He offered her living water that would well up into eternal life. She was shocked at what Jesus did. And so I ask you, what do you expect from Jesus? Do you expect him to ignore you, to pass you by? Do you expect him to see you and talk to you? Do you expect, do you long for more from him or more of him? Jesus was and is about his father's work. Jesus was and is about reviving thirsty, dying souls with living water. That's what he wanted to do for this woman, and it's what he wants to do for you and for me. In 1 Timothy, the Bible describes God like this. God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, like Jesus wants all people to be saved. Guy or girl, black or white, rich or poor, religious or rebellious, tall or short, tattoos or tan lines, it doesn't matter. Jesus wants to satisfy your soul with living water. It's who he is. That's what he's doing. It was the work he was sent for. And can I take it just one step further? When Jesus satisfies a thirsty soul, he doesn't do it one bucket at a time. Jesus doesn't satisfy a soul by drawing water out one at a time where you need to ask over and over again. Jesus says that he gives living water. And when you drink his water, it will well up in you to eternal life. That means Jesus doesn't satisfy just barely. 
He doesn't satisfy just temporarily. He satisfies lavishly and excessively and abundantly. He satisfies you with enough that there is more to share. Okay, and I, we're going to see that happen as we continue to read the story. But the first point that I want to make about what Jesus worked to do was when he walked this earth, he came to give living water to thirsty souls. All right, you got that? We're going to keep going. Um, so the woman at the well, she hears this offer of living water. She's shocked that he would even speak to her, much less make this offer. And so she responds like this, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water, right? She wanted what he offered, but she still didn't quite get it. She wanted her physical thirst to be quenched and bonus if it happened the way he said it happened, then she'd never have to draw water from that well again. That's a lot of hard work taken off her plate, right? And so give me this water. Um, but Jesus, just like before, he's going to take her deeper, right? He's going to tap into something deeper inside her. The conversation takes a little bit of an odd turn here. It's kind of long. So I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, she says, sir, give me this water. Jesus says, go get your husband. Woman says, well, I don't have one. Jesus says, yep, that's right, but you've had five, and now you're with another man who's not your husband. And she says, I get it, you're a prophet, right? You can see things that most people can't see. So in our story, Jesus has just offered her living water. He gets the response that we would hope he would get. Yeah, I want some of that. And then he says, go get your husband, and there gets to be this odd exchange. Well, I don't have one. I know. You've had five. Uh, you're a prophet. Why does he go there? What is Jesus doing? I think what he's doing is tapping into her real thirst. He's tapping into a thirst that goes deeper than just for water from the well. See, she'd had five husbands, and we don't know who they were or what the story was. We don't know if she'd been widowed that many times or divorced that many times or some combination of the two. But whatever the story was, what we do know is that love had let her down. Marriage and men had let her down. They hadn't lasted and they didn't satisfy. She kept going back to that well to get more and it kept leaving her unsatisfied. You get a sense that there's a thirst in her soul for something deeper than just water from Jacob's well. And I think Jesus is tapping into that. Um, this past of hers wasn't just about marriage and men, we can see that it, it actually had a, an impact on her social standing, her place in the community as well. How do we know that? She was at the well in the heat of the day alone. That tells us a few things, all right? First of all, it tells us when she's there in the heat of the day, that's odd. That's not normal. Women would usually go to get water in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening, because they carried buckets to the well, and then they had to drop them down into the well and bring them back up and pour them into their jars or whatever. And then you have to carry buckets full of water back to town. And if you live on the other side of town, all the way across town, and you don't want to spill all that, it's hard work. 
And heat only made that work harder. And so to be at the well in the heat of the day, that was odd. And not only was she there in the heat of the day, she was there alone. Now listen, some things in this world never change. When I was in school, high school, junior high, I noticed um, girls, they would always go to the bathroom together. They like go in groups all the time. And I didn't know why, and maybe I still don't understand it. Um, But I've grown up. I have a wife and kids now. And I noticed that my wife takes our kids on play dates, little excursions, and she always goes with her friends. They do it together. And they say they do it so that the kids get to play with each other. I think that's true. But I think they also do it so the moms get some hangout time. They just like to spend time together. That's a good and God-honoring thing to do. But they go in groups. And that was true way back in this time as well. Women would go draw water together. And for a lot of reasons, it was safer. They could help each other. And they just got hangout time. And so for her to be at the well alone, it was odd. It says something about how she gets to engage with the world around her. She was there alone in the heat of the day. From that, we can see that not only had her marriages, her relationships with men been broken, but her relationships with women, with the rest of the world, they were also broken. And so we can see from what Jesus was tapping into that there was a thirst in this woman. You can almost feel her longing for somebody to see her and notice her, to pick her, to make right what was wrong in her world, to repair what had been broken. And so Jesus knows that about her. And he doesn't leave that stone unturned. He enters in. Um, Man, I get way ahead of myself here. She knows that Jesus knows her. And she responds to him in a sort of unexpected way. All right, we can only speculate why she does what she does. Some people say she's going to change the subject because um, talking about this brokenness was too painful or embarrassing for her. I personally don't think that's true. As I read this, I feel like she sees in Jesus a prophet who's seen inside her soul and offered her living water. And she wants some, and she wants to know if she can have some. She wants to know if it's for her. Um, Whatever her motive is, is, this is what she says. Our fathers, the Samaritans, they worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Um, So Jesus taps into this, uh, this, hey, go find your husband. And she turns the subject to, hey, where are we supposed to worship? I think what she's actually saying is something like this. I'm a Samaritan woman. I worship God in this temple on this mountain. You're different from me. You're a Jewish prophet and you worship God in a temple in the city. But I want this living water you're talking about. What you've said is what I want. I'm different from you, but can I still get it? Is there a place for me in the things that you're offering? Can I find myself there? Do I get access to that? Because I want it. I think that's what she's asking. And if that's true, Jesus' answer is stunning. Here's what he says. 
Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Let me summarize what I think Jesus is saying. I think he's saying that your posture of worship matters more than your place of worship. She's saying, Jesus, you and I are different. I worship over here. You worship down there. Could I have access to your God if I'm up here on the mountain and you're down here in the city? And Jesus says, the hour's here when not on this mountain nor in that city will people worship, but true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. To summarize that, he's saying your posture of worship is more important than your place of worship. So let me go here for a second. If you're an athlete, if you've ever been an athlete, you know posture is important, right? A good posture makes all the difference. Whatever sport you've played, you've probably learned about the athletic position, the athletic stance, the athletic posture, right? You get your shoulders above your knees and your knees above your toes. You lean forward. And from this position or something like it, um, you can move in any direction. You're ready to respond, right? So if you're a baseball player, you can feel the ground ball. If you're a volleyball player, you can dig a set. If you're a basketball basketball player, you can guard a point guard. If you're a football player, you can guard a wide receiver and move whichever way he cuts. An athletic position is important because it prepares you for what's coming. If instead you stand tall on your heels, I have a hard time standing tall, okay? If instead you stand tall on your heels, you're at a disadvantage because you're unprepared. In athletics, posture matters. And I think what Jesus is telling the woman at the well is that posture matters in worship too. Here's what he says. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So we're not talking about a physical posture. We're talking about a posture of the heart, a posture of the soul. Okay, what is the right posture of worship? We worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? We worship the Father in spirit. Jesus says the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in that city um, will you worship the Father. What he's saying is that going to a certain place to worship does not make worship genuine or true. Um, Place isn't primary. We're not primarily, worship isn't primarily an external or surface level thing. It's deeper than that. In another place in the Bible, Jesus says it this way. This people honors me with their lips on the outside, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. You see what he's saying? You worship on the outside the right way, but your heart is far from God. Worship is vanity. It's surface level. There's not meaning to it. There's no meat. 
Jesus is saying that true worship isn't what happens out here, how you stand, where you sit, how eloquently you can speak. Worship is primarily about what's going on in here. It's a posture of the heart, a posture of the spirit and the soul. He doesn't care so much about where you are as about where your heart is. Is He tapped into this woman's past because he wanted to tap into her spirit and her soul. He wants to make her a true worshiper, and true worshipers worship in spirit. And so we see from the outset that God's seeking worshipers who worship in spirit, but that's only the beginning. He goes on to say that they worship in truth. What is the right posture of worship? We worship in both spirit and in truth. Um, And so... Jesus is going to tell her the truth. Remember, uh, she's a Samaritan. And the Samaritans had rejected all of the Old Testament except for the first five books. And those they had chopped up and dissected until they, what was left was a God that they wanted. Okay, the God that they had made. And so Jesus wasn't okay with that. Um, and so he tells her the truth. This is what he says. You worship what you do not know. Uh, you Samaritans, we Jews worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. He told her the truth. He said that who you worship matters. The posture of your heart is going to point your soul in a direction towards somebody or something And getting the right posture matters because it will point you in the right direction toward the right somebody or something. Jesus knew she wasn't pointed in the right direction, and he loved her. He didn't want to leave her there. He wanted her to drink the living water that she asked him for. He wanted her to be a true worshiper, so he told her the truth. You're trying to worship God, but you don't really know him. You've chopped up scripture and made a God that's not really the true God. The true God is the God of the Jews. Jesus was telling her where to get living water. And say, I don't want to tell you today, I think Jesus wants us to be true worshipers too. I think he wants us to be people who worship in spirit and in truth. I think he wants us to know how our hearts ought to be positioned toward him so that we can worship him alone. And so he wants us to know the truth too. Listen, when he says salvation is from the Jews... He doesn't mean salvation comes from their laws. He means salvation comes from their lineage. Look at what uh, the woman at the well said next. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. You're looking for someone to tell you where to find living water, someone you can believe, someone who will tell the truth. That's me. I'm him. The truth is that Jesus is the Christ. True worshipers worship the Father through him. Without him, there is no true worship. Jesus is the center. He is the beginning and the end. He's the one that people in the Old Testament looked forward to, and he's the one that people on the other side of the cross look back to. That's us. He is still 
all of the gospel. We worship truly in spirit and in truth when we worship Jesus and our hearts are directed to him. Have you known the truth? What does your heart worship? Are you ready to respond to the voice of Jesus? Are you prepared to move where he would have you go? Are you worshiping our God in spirit and in truth? Listen, Jesus was about his father's business. He wasn't about just walking around preaching nice sermons. He was walking around seeking true worshipers. That's what he was sent to do. All right? So we've seen two things. Jesus was giving living water, and he was seeking true worshipers. So our passage ends with one final scene. This woman uh, hears Jesus say, I who speak to you, I am the Christ. She gets super excited, leaves her water jar at the well, and runs back to town to tell everybody, hey, come see this man, uh, Jesus, who told me everything about me. I think he is the Christ. So she runs away. As she runs away, the disciples start walking up to Jesus. Um, And the Bible gives us a little peek into their minds. Okay, this is what it says. They, the disciples, they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Now the disciples, they see what Jesus is doing. They know this is odd. Jesus is up to something. This is out of the ordinary. And when Jesus does something out of the ordinary, it's usually something big. It's something that we need to pay attention to. Um, And so they marvel, the Bible says. I think probably the most common use of the word marvel in the world today is the uh, Marvel comic uh, universe, right? Their epic movie saga. And so we get to see uh, heroes like Iron Man and Captain America and their crew save the world from all kinds of trouble. Their powers are uncommon, right? And their uh, saving uh, actions are incredible, And so the characters are designed and the movies are made and the stories are written all so that we will marvel at these characters. And it's working. People do. And so uh, I think when the disciples see Jesus talking to a woman, they see him doing something uncommon and something incredible. And they begin to marvel at what he is doing. But they don't say anything. I don't know why. I think it's because they're probably like my kids. And when they're hungry, they're just distracted. Jesus is doing something big, but we'll deal with that after lunch, right? Um, And so they urge him to eat. Jesus, would you eat something? And Jesus responds. I love the way Jesus responds. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so these guys, they're hungry. They just walked all the way to the city to get food. They paid for it. They come back and they're like, where did he get that? Who gave that to him? You were sitting out here at the well. There's no food out here. And so they start asking these questions, and then um, Jesus lets them in on what he's talking about. This is what he said. This is a little bit of what Chuck read earlier. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into 
their labor. Listen, just like Jesus did with the woman at the well, he's going to take a common experience and point toward a marvelous experience. He's going to take hunger, in this case, it was thirst with the woman at the well, and he's going to point to something greater, something deeper, something more marvelous. Here's where I want to end today. Jesus was sustained by doing the will and the work of his father. It was more important to him than just regular food that you eat. He would rather be sustained by doing his father's will and work than by eating lunch with his buddies. Jesus was about his father's work. We've seen that he gives living water, he seeks true worshipers, and now we see that he is about reaping the white harvest. All right, he goes farmer on us here, and he says the harvest is ripe. It's ready to be brought in, and what he means is there are people around us that don't yet know Jesus. They don't yet know the truth. They haven't had a drink of living water. They have not uh, become true worshipers, and Jesus is telling his friends the harvest is ready. It's full. It's mature. It's ready to be brought in. Those people who have not yet had a drink of living water, they are ready to be brought into the family of God. Would you lift up your eyes to see it? And I think what he meant there is you guys think it's only Jews that I'm about. I'm going from Judea to Galilee, a place where there were Jews, to a place where there were more Jews, and we're traveling through Samaria, and you guys had your heads down trying just to get through. But I'm telling you right now, lift up your eyes. See the whole harvest. My living water is not just for the Jews. It's not just for the people who expect it or deserve it. It's not just for uh, common people. It's for uncommon, unexpected, unseen people. Would you lift up your eyes and see the whole harvest? It is ripe and it's ready to be brought in. Jesus was going to do an incredible and marvelous thing and his disciples nearly missed it because they were hungry. He said, lift up your eyes. And so City Light, I want to say to you today, Jesus was about his father's work. He was giving living water. He was seeking true worshipers and he was bringing in the white harvest. Are we about that today? I think Jesus still is. I don't think his mission has changed. He is still satisfying, dying, thirsty souls with living water that will well up to eternal life. He's still tapping into the spirit of men and women so that they will see the truth about him so that they can be true worshipers wherever they are. And he's still saying there is a ripe harvest. Are we seeing it? Let me end with these two questions. Have your, has your soul been satisfied by the living water of Jesus Christ? Have you longed for satisfaction? Have you longed for somebody to see you and know you and love you, not because you're the right person who deserves it, but because they love you where you are and you don't deserve it? Has your soul been satisfied by the living water that Jesus offers? If it hasn't, I would plead with you today. Ask him. He told the woman at the well, if you would ask me, I would give you living water. If you ask him today, he will respond. It's who he is. It's the work that he's about. 
So question number one, has your soul been satisfied by the living water that Jesus offers? Question number two, if it has, have your eyes lifted up lately to see the harvest that is white and ready to be brought in? See, like I'm, I love being part of this church because you have been a people heads down, hardworking to make this building a place where we could come worship, to grow this thing, this part of the kingdom of God from 50 to 350. You guys are part of the work that God is doing, and it's amazing. But I want to caution us as a church, if our heads get too far down, we will miss the harvest that is white and ready to be brought in. Have you lifted up your eyes Lately, to see who is out there, who's longing to be brought in. Oh, let's not let the people in our world be scenery that we pass by and ignore. But would we be a people that intentionally give our lives strategically and sacrificially to bring in the harvest of God's people to his family? Are you ready to be on that mission? Oh, City Light, Jesus was about his father's work. Let's be a people who are about his work. Amen? Amen. Amen.